Hello, everyone. Since this is either a highlight, a standalone book, or the first episode in a series, I'm jumping in to remind you what the rules are for this podcast. First rule is no real people stories. That means that any details from our own lives are merely anecdotal. We do not read books about real people, and we are not reading historical fiction. The second rule is that we are basing our analyses off of how the author treats characters and what they put them through. We are not judging the accuracy of the trauma, the accuracy of any actual conditions that may be portrayed, nor the authenticity of a character's reaction to that trauma or that particular condition. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The hosts are not trained professionals, and their opinions come solely from personal experience. In this episode, we discuss fictional depictions of trauma and violence that may not be suitable for all audiences. Please take care of yourselves. Specific content warnings for each episode can be found in the show notes. Events in the media are discussed in approximate order of escalation. This episode contains spoilers. This week we are reviewing the first book of Paxanarian Trilogy, The Sheep Farmer's Daughter. In this book, Pax runs away to become a soldier and discovers that the life of a soldier is not what she dreamed it to be, but it is what she wanted. Hi, I'm Nicole. And I'm Robin. And welcome to Books That Burn, your fortnightly book review podcast. Alright, for factions we have Paxanarian, we have Duke Phelan and the company, we have Sabin, Effa, Canna, and some other friends of Paxanarian. We have Stamel and other various training officers and superiors. We have Steffi, Corin, and Jens. We have the Honey Cat and his company. And then we have various other mercenaries and companies. So we are talking about Cal Halverick, and it's um, we're almost talking more almost talking more about the aftermath of his trauma than we are his actual trauma, I wanna say. Well, no, because we get we get before it happens. We get lots of threats before it happens, threats I that it's guess, going to yeah. happen, and then it happens, and then we have the aftermath, all in a single yeah. chapter. It's it's very tidy. Uh and that's part of what I wanted to talk about, Cal, is because it is it's very self contained and it kind of covers for it kind of covers what is in this society potentially the worst thing possible to happen to a guy. And these books are binary, and so I'm not worrying about there being kinds of guys who don't have balls and can't be castrated. We're currently worried about the kind that can, because that's what happens to Cal. So there's a there's some context here where I just wanted to point out, there is a lot that happens to Cal. He's kidnapped, he's mm-hmm. tortured in general, for information and also just because they could, because they had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also the castration. We are specifically focusing on the castration because that's really what we get descriptions and background and context for. And that's the shape of the threats that he gets. Mm-hmm. But we are fully aware that his his experience was more than just that. Oh, yeah. And part of the torture and thing is like psychological torture around oh, we're going to do this to you, we're going to do this to you, and we're going to kill your kids, so you're not going to have any heirs because you can't make anymore. And he has five kids, so them threatening that 
once he's castrated, he might not be able to have an heir if he already has five sons. Like, they're literally just saying, hey, we're going to kill your entire family. Good luck. Yeah. We're going to, we're going to kill your family and metaphorically salt the earth. So like, you can't, you can't redo it. Um, he's beaten and threatened. And then something I'm just kind of thinking about, like, because of the way this world is set up, this is not, sorry, I paused because Haku is just very loud running and I, (laughs) um, I might leave that in. That was very thunderous. I don't know what she was doing. I assume she's having fun. Uh, I, I just want to kind of say contextually, this book is a fantasy book. It's not a sci-fi book. So medically, mm-hmm. um, and uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Technologically. Technologically. Hormonally? Or- if you don't have okay. the ability to have children, just don't have children in this scenario. So this is it. Right. This is, this is medieval plus magic set up um and and so like that's it like if as a as some as a guy in this setup if you can't have kids that's it you just can't have kids and you just don't have an heir and this is set up where line of succession is genetic that is part of this world mm-hmm. and so you can't just oh well i adopted this person like that doesn't count um especially because this is a fantasy setting with magic and so there are magical means i believe that we kind of get a hint of in other books there are magical means to actually test if someone is your heir so you can't just Hmm. that's not part of this book i believe it shows up later without spoiling things for robin uh there's i haven't read these in a decade so there are there are magical ways to test if someone is your heir and so it is not good enough to just adopt a child and then raise them as your heir. Because if anyone literally ever questions them, they're going to fail those tests. And so it, it's it's hmm. it's funny because there's, you know, there's there are modern workarounds that we have. Like you can adopt a person and have them be your child in all ways other than medically. You can, we have surgeries that can fix it. We have other modern medical things. And every single avenue for that is cut out by these books very intentionally i would say like it it is set up in a world where this is important and it's important not generically but that's all i'm gonna say about that i mean minor digression Mm -hmm. building off of that like uh also like part of the context for him being super worried about uh being castrated and not having an heir is that one of his brothers was killed at the start of this whole thing like last fall so he He's also worried not just about him not having an heir for himself, but him not being an heir for his father. Um, So he's got, like, a lot of worries. Let's actually, can we segue from that into his father's reaction? Sure. That's actually what I was about to say next. His, uh, the, the language in here is very oblique. They refer to his manhood. They refer to him being injured down there. They have like a lot of indirect references. And then we finally get for certain exactly what was done to him. Kind of when, um, uh, his father refers to, uh, how he'll serve the bastard's balls to him on toast. Being the, the bastard in question being the, the head whoever, person who ordered the, the this honey to cat implicitly. Yeah. The honey cat. Yeah, the head of the of the person who 
gave the orders that led to this happening to Cal. Um, that, but the, the language is very oblique and it is, it's not, it's not graphic. Like if you didn't know that this is a thing, it'd be like, hmm, well, they're threatening to kill his family and something got cut off. Maybe like it's, yeah. I, I will say when I was a kid, reading these books for the first time and full disclosure i read these books i i was very early reader and i read these books not quite as they came out but very close i was probably three or four reading this book and that is not an exaggeration at all i did not know (laughs) what they were talking about and i think i figured it out somewhere in middle school just but but by that point i had read these books I don't know, maybe four or five times more than that, four or five that I can directly remember. And like the language is obscure enough. And we'll probably talk about this in our wrap up a little bit too. But that la- the language surrounding it is obscure enough where if you don't have context for it, you're not going to jump to that. It's not traumatizing to read even a little bit. But if you no. if you are old I, enough I mean- to figure out what it's talking about, then it's very clear and very, very not explicit, but very um, heavily, it's yeah, heavily implicit, it's heavily implicit. And it's very consistent. Like once you know what it's talking about, there's no obscurity mm-hmm. at all. It's just very clear. But I, you know, it was good because it was, it was a, it was a, it's a passage where potentially, especially if you have balls, it might be traumatizing. It could mm-hmm. very easily have been traumatizing to read, but I don't think that this passage would be. Nah, it's, it would be probably like, again, right. neither of us have those. So it's probably like super cringy to read. If it's like, oh, <laughs> yeah, that could happen but to still, me. Still, the language, the language around it kind of protects the reader with without obscuring mm-hmm. what is happening. Like once you know, it makes total sense, and there's nothing, you know, there's nothing obscure about it anymore. But you have to kind. It's kind of one of those like it's not a catch twenty two, but if it were a problem, it would be. Where it's almost like. You have to know for it to matter, but if you don't know, then the scene is still a torture scene and it's fine, but it's not very traumatizing. It, it's it's yeah. just very well done, I think. Though it is psychological torture, and if you're counting the torture as being the castration, then okay, it is a torture scene. But I, I so I read the chapter and I and I thought, oh yeah, he totally got tortured in that. And then I skimmed over the chapter once I knew that we were going to read this segment, and I'm like, oh, never mind. Uh, no, they actually didn't. Uh, there was psychological torture. There was some, like, inappropriate oh. hand placement. Like, it doesn't say yeah. specifically. Yeah, there's a lot of just implied that this is happening to him without anything, again, like, without anything traumatic to read. Like, I can't swear that he actually got physically tortured, but psychologically as we said up front he's getting all kinds of threats about his family and like and they live very far away like on the other side of mountains so for his family to be threatened well there's a a duality there him to believe it like it implies yeah it implies both wait that far away and also you can't get there to stop it it's it's both it's this weird like i thought they were i thought they were safe we're already over there and i can't do anything about it and it's it's yeah it's Mm -hmm. just it's just a very i think it's a very well written scene it could almost like it'd be an extremely short story but like this chapter alone would be a complete well done short story huh yeah it's it's totally self-contained you have enough to say what's going on and like this 
like it doesn't it doesn't need to like it's in it's in a very good book but this chapter i think could stand alone by itself as like this little scene of this thing happening because like even his rescue is all in this one chapter and the reaction and like the reassurance of from his dad of like your your worth to me is not that you can make more kids that's not your worth to me they took the only they took from you the thing we can totally do without it'll be totally fine like I do not think any less of you. And given, like, the the um, implied cultural context by, like, this being, like, vaguely Middle Ages Europe, I think it's very, very important that that gets explicitly said. And as I, and like like I said, like, not just vaguely medieval Europe, but medieval magical Europe where they can magically verify that you have a Mm -hmm. lineage. And for the fact that his father to say to his current, I think he has one more sibling who's still alive, but like his eldest, his heir to say, hey, the only thing that doesn't matter to me about you as a person is that you can still be my heir and have heirs of your own. Like literally everything about you as a human being is more important to me than that. That's Mm -hmm. that's a a very strong message an extremely strong message and it's it is a very interesting i think juxtaposition to like like this isn't and this isn't something so like there's a lot of cultural context that is written in and part of the series but also like this even with all of that cultural context and weight to this thing this is not a book where people go around saying like there's there it's just it's i'm trying to think of how to word this it's in the text it's very clearly structured. It's very well put together. It makes a lot of sense. It's very consistent. It's culturally consistent across multiple different places and events and things like that. And even I would go as far as to say societies eventually when we get to the other books. But at the same time, this is not a book where people walk around saying, I'm the heir. So here are my powers. <laughs> like it's very just built into the world in a very smooth way. It's not the focal point of everything. And again, I can't speak to the later books yet because I think I read them once like yeah. 10 years ago. I am not the one who rereads yeah. this series. Um, but we'll I've get there. I've read the series a lot. All right, here we have uh, our second topic for the episode. Our first topic for our main character, Paxinarian. This is the discussion of her trip to alert Duke Phelan of the garrison's capture. And she is the sole survivor of that trip where she started out with two other people. So this is kind of, um, there's a lot that we could talk about with regards to this thing. But again, kind of, kind of like our first topic, we're focusing on, on one aspect of it. So... A lot of this this trip that they're they're going on, they spend call it a trip. It's really a they're fleeing from the enemy and they're inte- they're trying to bring information. So it's it's not a it's not a trip. But it's not a jaunt. It's not a jaunt, right? Um, but a, a lot of it they spend very tired, very hungry, very cold, being haunted literally by the people that they are are trying to to bring warning about they're being hunted potentially by an army but all of that the three of them are 
together they're they're working through and taking care of injuries and they're you know keeping each other alive but they're in it together the thing that we wanted to focus on was right at the end right as they're almost to the keep right as they almost made it they get they actually get attacked by i think bandits and they get separated and Kanan uh Kana and Saban don't make it but Pax does and there's almost it's almost from a trauma standpoint it's almost worse that way because they were so close and they were together the entire way and they almost did it and then all of a sudden it's just Pax and she's the only one who actually makes it and so she made it and they delivered the message and they you know they rescued the troops and they saved the day later in the book but in the moment she made it all the way with her two best friends and then she lost them right and also right as they were almost there and also uh they both were alive when they were found too oh yeah um uh sabin was um comatose because of a wound to the head uh canna was too injured to live but was able to talk to the people who are rescuing them and i think it sounds like she might have been like with um the surgeons or medics or whatever for a bit before she died like yeah. she was able to to will her um her medallion of gird to pax mm -hmm. um before dying so it's not like it's they not like they got... just died in captivity and then Pax never saw them again. It's like, no, they, they were rescued and straight up did not make enough. it. And she also didn't get to say goodbye still. Yeah. There's just a lot <laughs> that she kind of and... goes through with that. And I think she might have also, I don't remember whether this was explicit in the text or not, but mm -hmm. because she rode with the, um, the rescuing troops to go free the garrison, Basically, because she oh, rode yeah. with them, she then wasn't with the people who found Sabin and Canna. And I don't yeah, that know was if they talk said. about <clears throat> that was explicitly said. Okay, yeah. yeah. So because she went to go rescue and like do more things to complete the mission, so she alerted them, and then now she went to go help complete this rescue because of that she doesn't get to say goodbye and she could have said goodbye to canna and also with that the surgeons and the duke gave her an option to stay behind and heal and she said no i want to be part of the next step so if it comes to like well you know there's there's definitely this implication that well if i had just said no or if i had just said yes and if i had taken the rest that was being offered then i would have seen i would have seen them again at least yeah. a little bit. And so she's, it's just a lot. So, she, so she's torn between finishing the mission that they, she thought that they had already died to make happen. And by trying to complete what she thought they had already died for, she missed them actually dying. And then we also have, on top of this whole survivor's guilt that she has, um, she also feels... Uh, she, it, it's almost, it's almost written as though she doesn't feel guilty, but she thinks that she should, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, feel guilty because, um, Sabin had offered to have sex with her or asked her about it. I think, I think it was just once and she turned yeah. him down 
And that impacted their friendship in zero ways, which was great. That is the correct way that that should happen. <laughs> um, but also, like, it was something that she knew he wanted. And so then when she died, she basically... He died, but yeah. Or, I'm sorry, when he died, she kind of, she looked at it and said, well, I couldn't even, you know, he's gone and I couldn't even give him this thing that he wanted. And I, the way it's handled in the book, um, their, their, uh, Sergeant Stammel, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Sergeant. Um, he, she's talking to him about this and he basically looks at her and says, that's not, that's not something that you you should even be considering because Saban didn't feel think any less of you for it. He didn't regret anything. He wasn't upset. He wasn't angry with you. He had like, you guys were just friends. And the fact that you didn't have this other relationship on top of that is fine. And also mm-hmm. you should not have bedded him out of guilt. That's not how that works. And that's not healthy. And that's not something that you should have been doing anyway. And yeah, that is a very, very, very good and correct and accurate way that that should be handled. And I think it's also important to note that this is not a female sergeant. This is a male sergeant written in a book where there's, I don't think that it's even men and women. And they they actually, they actually specifically they talk about the one ratios. Quarter, it's about one quarter women. One quarter to one third. I think her company at one point is, or no, her uh, cohort at one ex- point is one the third. Ex- well, the company as a whole is one quarter. Yeah. That is explicitly stated after they get the northern troops. And so she's thinking a lot about the numbers. Yeah. Um, but, but as far as like named characters go, we don't have zero women. Like this, this book passes the Bechtel test with flying colors everywhere. Even with an, even with there being a, an explicit male to female ratio that's be, that's discussed, and with all of that, this is a female ca- a female sergeant telling her the female. Oh, I'm sorry, this is a male sergeant telling her the female recruit. No, you didn't owe him this, and also if you had done this out of an, a feeling of obligation, it would have cheapened it anyway. And Sabin doesn't resent you, and it's okay. And also, hey, by the way, you're going through PTSD and survivor's guilt, and I know that as your superior officer, and you need to recognize that, and it's okay. <laughs> and, th- and then there's a couple of, like, explicit, like, contextual things that he uses as examples for why she should absolutely know that Sabin wasn't upset about it. Uh, but also just, like... It's it's very explicit and and supported in the text, and it's it's just very well written. Yeah, and also, uh, like, I mean, P- neither I don't think survivor's guilt is used explicitly as a term. PTSD definitely is not because that's a very modern term. But like, no, it's way yeah, more descriptive like, than that. But he, d- I think, Stamel does say like you feel guilty because you're the only one. <laughs> like they both right, died. Right. Like he he explicitly describes it. I'm just. Oh sure, no, that's Shortening. definitely what they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and she also has a has a lot of like, if she hadn't run, then maybe they would have all made it. And it's like, no, you wouldn't have. And 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 her superior officer is very clear on that too. Like, hey, you don't know that, and also this way, 
someone got the message to the duke which was the goal you did your job quit beating yourself up for doing your job and and it wasn't yeah. and it's not even like let it go it doesn't matter it's hey allow yourself to heal you did it you're the only one that survived it's okay like no one is upset at you or anything least of all your friends and and then again here's why here's some explicit examples of them in their final moments being okay with you and with what you did and and it's yeah it's very it's very good it's very it's very i think it's a very good way of writing it so that her trauma is kind of both validated but also pushed on the road to healing and also at the same time um there is a rejection of a lot of toxic things that can come with that and it and it's explicit rejection it's not just that they don't talk about it or she doesn't deal with it like no she looks it directly in the face and has somebody who she respects look at her and say hey that is not that's not something that you need to handle and it it gives her kind of a um like you don't need to take that on yeah but it gives her a literal a literal reason to <laughs> reject it because the person telling it to her is her superior officer it's somebody she respects and also it is another guy which in context for this does matter yeah because it's not like a woman telling her oh you don't need to bother with whether some man would have wanted to sleep with <laughs> exactly, you exactly exactly it's a guy saying like hey it didn't hurt your friendship and it if it had impact the, it and if it had if that it, would have been awful on him so you can relax anyway <laughs> yeah right yeah which is very very good and also it's not like this book pretends that like everybody's totally fine and oh, no. men and women like totally get together with no problems our next topic is gonna have that <laughs> uh, yeah but it but it, it does very clearly have like characters who are good about this and characters who are not. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some like throwaway characters who are from a different company and basically ask like a whole string of like, well, wh- what do you mean women can fight? Why are there so many of you? Like, what's going on? Like, we have that, but it doesn't in it. I'm glad that the book doesn't inundate us with that kind of like stressful stuff with like. Yeah, I appreciate how the book acknowledges, but is not permeated by, mm-hmm. like, ambient misogyny. That's nice. All right, we have Paxanarian's assault and attempted rape. Yeah, uh, so I just want to real quick before we get into this, I'm reiterating, just in case people reiterating i'm reiterating just in case people don't read our show notes all the time this even before we start talking i'm going to go ahead and say hey this has explicit talk about physical assault attempted sexual assault descriptions of physical and sexual um, injuries and also uh drugging and um yeah i'm trying to think if there's any more that i know we're going to cover like we hope you join us for this segment, but but also if we not, understand. Take care of ourselves and catch us for the wrap up. Yeah, or take care of yourself. Take care of yourourselves and catch us for the wrap <laughs> take up. Take care of ourselves too. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah. So just in case you didn't look at the show notes, this is not going to be a fun one to listen to. If you have any reason to avoid or take not be a part of any of those discussions, and if there's any more warning content warnings that we need. Um, I will put them also in the show notes, but those are the ones that I'll already ahead of our actual discussion. I know we're going to cover. Yeah. 
Okay. Do we want to talk about the way the text is presented at different levels first, or do we want to just literally go down our... Um, I I first want to talk about what is explicitly in the text, then talk about what is heavily, heavily implied, and we're like 99% sure, and then if we have anything where we're pretty sure, but it isn't in there, like, kind of handle it that way. Okay. Uh, all right. You want to start with explicit, so- and I'll go to implicit? Sure. Uh, So what is explicitly in the text is that uh, Pax is in a cell. And also the the switch to the scene is extremely abrupt. It jumps over the events and is just the aftermath. Um, So she, she doesn't quite wake up in a cell. We join her awake in a cell and... She is hurt. She doesn't quite know how hurt she is. And Stamel comes to see her. And he's talking at first like she did something. And she's like, wait, no, I'm the one who was attacked. And uh, basically, um, what we have from the text is uh, someone attempted to rape her. Corin. And Steffi hurt her. Steffi definitely hurt her. He tried to get make her sleep with him, and she refused him, and then he hurt her. And someone was placed on lookout, and Corin was also there, and it's not really clear. No one directly witnessed and can remember and was willing to say exactly what Corin did. But the end result is that Pax was uh, almost raped, was assaulted so badly that they had to do an examination in order to figure out whether or not she'd technically been raped because she was so injured. And and also, quick note here, the reason that she's not sure how injured she is is because everything hurts. Right, right. Yeah. Like, there, it's literally a case of overstimulus by pain where she, it it all hurts and she can kind of pinpoint things, but like, She's also not certain if her ribs are broken. It's just that breathing is difficult. It's kind of one of those. Yeah. Um, So she is hurt all over. And there is concern over whether she was hurt in the very specific way that is rape. But no matter what, there was an attempted sexual assault. There was completed physical assault. And I would say, yeah, like the hairline between was she physically, was she sexually assaulted, but not technically raped? Like, I'm not super interested in that distinction. And luckily, the book isn't either. Yeah, that's, yeah, well, that's the thing is, like, that's not just a we don't want to, we don't care thing. Like, the book also does not care. It's not saying, oh, it's, yeah, it's not better for her attackers that she wasn't actually raped. It's just better for her that she wasn't, that she wasn't technically raped. Yes. All right. Did you want to talk about the implicit stuff? Yeah. So there's some, so that's what we kind of get as written down as, and and I do want to quick note before I move on to implicit, explicitly in the text, it's not that those things are what we know happened. It's, we kind of watch other people piece together the scene. And so the things that Robin just said are things that the uh, the officers and the other people who are in charge of 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 her well being and of investigating this, those are things that they think and notice and are told and 
understand. And so it's 100% not the whole story, but also like, it's not written to be believed as the whole story. You very much watch it as an investigation that is happening. And that's, I think that's very, it's an important distinction. Um, so implicit in the text is that Steffi was probably not actually the rapist here or attempted rapist. She Explicitly did. in the text, yeah. we do have that he grabs Pax by the arm and kind of pushes her down on a bed and is trying to talk to her, talk her into sleeping with him. She says no. And then everything else that we hear about the scene is from Corin, And we have... We have implicit and a little bit of physical injury explicit reasons to think that Corin is the one who beat her. Corin is the one who hit her. Corin is the one who broke ribs. Corin is also the one who told that not even not even just told Steffi what to say, but Corin is the one who gave Steffi's initial account for him. Literally just him talking and telling Steffi to nod and and we also have explicit text confirmation that steffi was drugged so implicit in the text with all of those things that are that are actually in there that are actually explicitly written in there we have implicit in the text that steffi was drugged when i tried to get pax to sleep with him and she said no and then corin said no actually we're gonna hurt you and beat her potentially attempted to rape her um and then lied it's not about poten- all of it. It's not potential that someone tried. It is just potential as to whether it was Steffi or Corin. Right, exactly. And also, explicitly in the text, we do get that by the time uh, somebody showed up and kind of officers were on the scene and and, and kind of uh, de-escalating is the wrong word. I don't have a better word. Yeah, it's... It, it definitely isn't de-escalation because they thought at the time they thought that she was yeah they broke it there up. there we go broke up the scene by the time we have officers on the, there who broke up the scene um steffi cannot sit up straight or really talk <laughs> but and, and that's actually the the reason that pax was thrown in the cell in the first place is because he couldn't like give testimony for himself and so when corin says well yeah she did this to him it's taken at face value just because he can't, he literally can't defend himself or talk for himself or anything. And they assume at the time it's because Pax beat him so badly that he can't talk, but then he essentially doesn't have a scratch on him when they actually look later. And so we, we get, we kind of get all of this where it pieces together where Steffi was drugged Corin either set it up and drugged Steffi or took advantage of the scene to stop girls. I need not cat yowling in the background. I'll fuzz them. Um, and then so Corin either engineered the scene or took advantage of the scene to hurt Pax on purpose. Yeah. And there's some pretty heavy implication. And, and the thing is, like, we don't know who well, we don't know at the time. Or we don't know in this book. We do actually eventually find out which don't tell me. I won't. I, I won't who. tell you who. But um, this this is not a mystery forever. Um, like we like we get, we we do get the the setup here that that Corin took full advantage of of this and just hurt her. Yeah. Uh. So one of the things 
is so so the because Steffi couldn't as we said Steffi couldn't like walk he was like falling over because he was drugged um they thought Pax heard him and Stamel asks like hey if it had been this morning and you said Pax has this story and Corin has this story who would we listen to and whoever he was talking to was like well Pax obviously and he's and they're like Oh, but it's this thing, and Stan was like, nah, uh, uh. We would believe Pax. Like, we know we should that Pax lot- is more trustworthy. We have had problems yeah. with Corin since he joined. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Steffi isn't, isn't the one even giving really a testimony here. Steffi doesn't remember anything. Like, yeah. yeah. And so Stamel has to, like, fight the hierarchy and, like, pull strings and not quite pull rank but do like everything because he can't pull rank because he's trying to get his higher ups to do stuff um <laughs> yeah but, like everything short of that to get this to happen and and by this so we that, mean like, an investigation more beyond pax beat up a corporal to yeah, be clear because the investigation was going to be how much are we going to punish pax for doing this and he turned the investigation into what happened who did what uh, there were witnesses totally and it was interesting the use of the term witness because it was witness not to the event but witness to the injuries oh yeah and so looking at the injuries and at the physical evidence the witnesses looked at it and then they were witnesses to everyone's statements about what happened and then they put that together and then they had a judgment and based on the judgment from the witnesses then uh we get um corin steffi and jens jens was the one watching the door to say if if any superiors were coming Cor- uh corin <laughs> jens is corin's henchman essentially and, and that's yeah. not just in this scene just in general he's the the minion to Jens's uh, instigator, and um, Jens, <laughs> Jens is not a good henchman in this scene because when they said, "Hey, what did he tell you?" He literally says, "Oh, well, Corin like, told me to, to go look door. out for the officers and tell tell him if they were coming." Like, okay, dude. Well, like Jens is Jens not. is not a good accomplice. Um, like, which he's is almost good for a Pax. mook. He's he's almost a mook. He's so bad at being a henchman. <laughs> um, yeah, and. Then sorry. So that, once his his pure just like confusion at well, why would you even ask me this? Of course it was just as very funny to me. So trying to keep this sorry. as a discussion and not just a recap. There's so much to recap. Well, we could talk about it like it's, forever. It's hard because we're not we're honestly right now, we're not just recapping. Because there's there's so much to the way that this whole scene is handled where there's so much that's implied. And there's mm-hmm. so much that you kind and of even us even us saying what happened is drawing conclusions about the text because so much of this is implicit. Yeah. But what I was going to say is going to um, the trial and the punishment. I found the punishment to be very interesting. Oh yeah. Because um, the punishment for Jens is that he they're all lashed. Um, Steffi the least, and then Corin got. 40 lashes. No, Steffi was sent elsewhere for... He was sent elsewhere. Jens got lashed. Corin got 40 lashes. And then Jens' head was shaved, and Corin was shaved with Tenisi all Turin. of his hair. Yeah, Tanisi Turin. He was completely shaven. Shaven like a newborn lamb or something that's 
yeah, how it how it is in the books. Yeah, and so you have this interesting interplay with um with Pax being kind of traumatized again by watching the punishment and trying to figure out how to deal with that. Like the text doesn't spend a ton of time on it, but it it does acknowledge that like it's okay for her to feel badly and not be okay with watching this punishment happen. Um she like she you know she can look it away look away there would be something wrong with her if she did like it. Yeah. They they very much they have they very much have an attitude of the punishment is the deterrent for other people to do the same thing. And and also building off of that, there's there there's more than just there's validation for her being uncomfortable or not okay for more than just the the other the other punishment. There is also explicit in the text um, the guards and other other people in charge, but the guards holding her up, holding her there, her personal the people people keeping her from running away in theory. Uh, when they're going over, the witnesses are going over descriptions of injuries. That is rough for Pax. They it says it, it says in the book about it talks in the book about her just as they're saying her injuries as they're listing them off. She feels them like they're being like it's happening to her again. And the guards, her guards, actually walk her through it and and essentially say like, "Hey, that." This is affecting you. Don't listen to this. You aren't the one who needs to hear this. <laughs> you just need to be present because this is, it, it's a defense of you, but also like, like you're kind of on trial a little bit because we're seeing what happened, but also, hey, that hurt you. So look out the window. Don't listen. Hit count. I think one of the guards ex- like actually says like, instead of listening to that, try counting to a hundred or something like, you know, just block it out because we can tell that this is traumatic for you just almost like reliving it and that's that's very it's it's given it's given a lot of a lot of weight and a lot of care and we'll talk about that later and it's it's care it's care not just for the reader it's care for that the the person who survived the trauma in the book which i honestly i can't think of a single book that we've read so far or talked about reading or have on our list I think Elizabeth Moon as an author does this in a couple of the books that I have kind of set up as like options for us to read, but I can't think of another author who so explicitly has the character given that level of on-screen care about their trauma without it just being backstory somehow. Generally speaking, like Elizabeth Moon does this very, very good, interesting thing where it's all in the book. But it's it's in the book as aftermath, so the reader is not experiencing it, but the character is reliving it, and then the character is seen to be given care to get through it. And it it's just a lot of books, even with things like trauma and, and physical physical injury and things like that, don't go to that level. So I just think that's important to note. for our wrap up uh, for our first item which was uh, Cal Halverick minor character spotlight what do you think the gratuity rating is it's either mild or moderate 
I was going to say it alternates between yeah, mild which and off screen. For the actual trauma that we talked about is pretty difficult to do. Uh, yeah. It's very well done. Delicately handled. Very precise language. Um, Delicately yeah. handled sounds like a joke, and I know it's not. That's all I'll say about that. <laughs> um, all right. So for Pax's- so Let's just say survivor's uh, guilt. Survivor's guilt. All right. So Pax, survivor's guilt. Uh, I, I think it's moderate. There's like a, a discussion- but it's not the kind of thing. Here's the only the only reason that I'm wondering if it's legitimately moderate or if it's severe. Pax. It might be triggering for someone uh, who has uh, a similar that, thing. But more than that, the fact that she is dealing with it for so long. Because it's I think it's I think it might be one of those again where the actual event is over really super quick. But she's dealing with it for like the rest of the book. Actually, for that matter. I'm going to go ahead and say, I know you don't know this yet, but she's dealing with it into the next book a little bit, I think. Yeah, yeah. I, I think, so I think, think it's severe. severe just because of the duration and because of how much it's... It, even if we just consider how much it's in this book, you think it's still severe? It goes for the rest of the book. Because I agree. Even if you just consider it being in this book. That's true. It is... Even at like the very, very yes. end of the book, like, she's like, thinking I, I about think, it again. I think as, a, as an actual trauma, the way it's depicted, it's not severe, but I think it it is one of those that just goes on and on and on and on and on. So let's say moderate, but sustained. Well, we don't have a category for sustained. <laughs> okay, let's just go. All right, we can go ahead and just say moderate. Moderate, but also like- Moderate, but a lot of it. The moderate, but also like, hey, if you struggle yeah. with survivor's guilt, this might be cathartic and it might be awful. So heads up. Yeah, that'll totally depend we, we on your personal know. experience. So We're sorry. We yeah. can't, we can't yep, predict that I'm not going to try. Um, so then we have, uh, the assault on Pax. This is severe. Um, full stop. This is severe. Uh, it, it is, it's a very interesting mix of off screen okay, and severe. Okay, that's fair. Um, but, but yeah, but even just, even just descriptive language used kicks it up to severe. Um, this is going to be this is going to be a fun one to. It's <laughs> off screen. It, it's off screen. It is severe, and it is specifically not torture porn, which is a delicate balance that was handled very well. We have whether cow's trauma is. Uh, it's irrelevant. It is very interesting, but it is irrelevant. I'm gonna say it's not irrelevant. I think it's interchangeable. Because you think it's interchangeable? The Halverix. Okay. Well. I was gonna. I was gonna say the Halverics needed something need to be that committed because the Duke was they. They already lost. Like they already had something happen to their other son, as we do talk about in this segment. Like they were already together. This intensified an already intense bond, and there are hints in the text of there being some other, even more unspoken reason for them to be on the side of Duke. Failing. Okay. All right. All right, irrelevant. Sorry, Cal. <laughs> uh, uh, although, okay, so I do yeah, want like to. I do want to quickly I, note I mean, because I, of I did the things that we talked about. Um, plot wise, mm-hmm. it's irrelevant. It's irrelevant to the plot. It is irrelevant to the plot. But it's yes. <laughs> I think it makes it a better. I think book wise, it was it was very very good. But yeah, plot yeah. wise, plot wise, it was irrelevant. It would make. And I, I did I did say in our short segment, just in case anyone, you know, skipped the segment but is here for the wrap-up, this particular chapter would make 
an amazing short story. It wouldn't even need to be lengthened. It could just be like a very short story in the middle, like on the internet or in some other book. Like it's a standalone contained thing that has <laughs> if all the info Moon, needs. If Elizabeth Moon did fan fiction of her own work. <laughs> This would, yes. Yeah, if she did. If she did fan fiction of her own work, this could it's, be fan fiction of her yeah, work. And it's, it's just very as a standalone good. chapter. Um, but that also contributes to its ability to be plot wise irrelevant. All right. Uh, survivor's now we guilt. Have, this uh, is. This Pax is Survivor's Guilt. I, I, I'm going to argue that this is integral. I was going to argue that it's interchangeable. So I was going to argue that it is interchangeable because we already had other events that would have caused and have already caused similar survivor's guilt she's she's literally in an army like uh there's mm, okay I, I see so it here's both. i see can it I make both. an argument for it being I was going to say, I see it as inevitable that she's going to have survivor's guilt. But it, it's not the survivor's guilt that is the thing that I'm saying is Okay. Integral. Sure. All right. So you, you can't pull from what's in books two and three. You got to stick to this one. Uh, I'm sticking to this one. So, although, okay, to be fair, <laughs> um, books two and three would not have happened without this particular thing happening to her. That's true. They okay, so been- I'm, try- I'm trying to say this without spoilers. Yeah. Tell me if you think this is a spoiler. For her to leave the company, she can't have friends still in it like that. Mm, that's a spoiler because that's not in this book. No. Yeah, it is. No, she she's still in the company at the end of this book. Yeah, she hasn't left the company. Oh. So oh, arguing okay, whether it's all integral right, to all right, all right. this Redoing, plot. Re, re, okay. Sure. No, we we can't take a trilogy and say we we can't take a trilogy and say okay. Here, here's the thing. Okay, spoiler free. Books two and three would not have happened if she still had friends that were her best friends alive in the company. There would be no plot. All right. So now there handle- are multiple. There are multiple specific events in books two and three that quite literally tie back to this pr- specific trauma, and she as a character would not develop and exist the way she does without this happening to her my counter is that's going to be the case for any long for any like series change things you did in book one while they might not have been set in stone in how you did book one will carry through and then they become harder to change yes but it's not that simple for this one okay so let's go with i haven't read these in 10 to 15 years I only vaguely remember. And so it is not integral to the plot. But of it is, this. though. Hold, hold up. Hold up. Ah. It, it, it is not integral to the plot of this book. But your argument could be that the point of this series would have to be different if this weren't in there. Because my hard counter to whether it had to be integral is what if she had just never really made very many friends in the company? Then she, she didn't have wouldn't to lose have a them. loss. Yeah, she did. She did have to lose them. Okay. All right. That, um, that's, the, that's the thing. Is like, she absolutely had to lose them. Okay. Um, trying to get this to like... Okay. All right. In this book... It's interchangeable. Um, uh, no, it's not. Okay. 
So, right. okay. So that, okay. Let me argue it's, it this way. It's just not. It's, it's so. <laughs> but I can't tell you why without spoilers. Like, it's okay. so not. So to me, practically speaking, only having read this book, because I only remember like two things from later and none of them related to this. Um, it, it is it is integral that she has survivor's guilt because she would be magically lucky to escape the plot of this book. See, the survivor's sur- guilt is not the part that I think is integral. I, it's I literally everything else. I, I understand that. Okay, so Nick, I'm trying to help us talk about the spoiler free. And when the 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 title for this topic is survivor's guilt and you're like wait i want to talk about everything but survivor's well, guilt no i don't want to talk about everything else i just want to say that like the point of the point of the trauma was not the guilt but the point but the trauma had to happen that's all i'm saying i, I don't know how to say that without okay let me can i attempt without you cutting it sure. off through? okay so to me just with this book the survivor's guilt is integral to the plot. Exactly who was lost could be interchangeable. The number could have been different. It didn't have to be from this particular event that has her leave the company um, physically and be in danger. But uh, you are arguing that if you didn't have this, the rest of the series wouldn't happen and wouldn't make sense. And so I'll go ahead and grant you that this may heavily impact the rest of the series and thus is integral to the story arc. I'll go ahead and grant you that because I don't remember. Um, but so that I would say that she has survivor's guilt is integral to the plot because you would have a very different war book if she managed to get away without survivor's guilt. And then that's strengthened when you argue that everything but the actual survivor's guilt is integral to the overall arc. So we can go ahead and settle on integral, even if we disagree about which part is integral. Yeah, that's okay. fine. All right. Yeah, because I just I just don't know how to make my argument for why I think it's integral without. Yeah, it's okay. You don't spoilers. know how to make a spoiler free argument, but if I think one half of it is integral and you think the other half is integral, that's fine. <laughs> then that's cool. It, I just okay. I just don't think it's interchangeable because of a lot of a lot of reasons. Like Elizabeth Moon is super good at layers to specific scenes so like you'll have a scene this is just a thing with this author like you'll have a scene and then like this piece of that scene is integral to the next chapter but this other piece of that scene is integral to the next book but this other piece of that scene is integral to chapter two of the third book like there's just a lot of things like that where there's a lot of that in this book where it just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and it's a thing that she does in a, a lot of her series that I've read, but especially this one where something that at first glance looks really super minor, if you pull that thing away, the rest of it just falls apart. Yeah. And this this thing is one of those things. Um, and I read books far more linearly and also piecemeal at the same time. And so I, I first default to assuming it's interchangeable and then testing to see that i i first test if it's interchangeable oh yeah but that's the thing is like if you're only looking at well other things could cause survivor skill like yeah absolutely but those other things wouldn't have all of the nuances and all of the implications that this particular thing had and yeah sure you could build in like 17 reasons for those other things to exist but at that point you're just writing a different book which is why i think it's integral (laughs) 
Okay, then. So then I don't you know see how what to get I'm a saying? Sh- Yeah, I don't know how to get a short version of this conversation. But yes, I see what you're saying uh, and I think fine. we can move on. <laughs> that's my job. <laughs> yep. Uh-huh. Um yeah, that's why it's your job. Uh, okay. Now we have uh the ass- we have the assault. Um this is also integral. Yeah, this is definitely integral. I even though it doesn't come back in this book, I recognize this from other things. I know <laughs> the feeling of we have set up a big bad and they will return. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I've read TV tropes to, enough to know that as this. As <laughs> to say, uh, Tamora Pierce did this twice in one of her series. Like, yeah, eh, and with with someone else who started with a K as well. But um, <laughs> oh, anyway, no. I don't know if you cut that or not. But I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely recognize the feeling of we have set up something that's going to come back to bite her later. Um, <laughs> someone hates her. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm trying not to laugh because so I would argue, <laughs> I know what happens. And it's just very the, hearing your sentence out of context is highly entertaining to me. It's not yeah. wrong, but it's also very funny. Anyways, um, so I would argue that it is it's integral. It's integral to this plot. I recognize how, if done well, it could be integral to the story moving forward. Uh, I trust that it will be. I vaguely remember that it is. Um, the <sighs> some of the details might be interchangeable, but I think they're very informative. So I'm going to go ahead and say that this thing is integral. And I would also argue that like some of the details might be interchangeable. It could have been talked about differently, but I think for the way the author wanted the reader to experience it, I don't think the details were really interchangeable. Yeah. Like, they're so specific in a way that protects the reader. And we'll get to that literally with our next thing, but, like, I mean, yeah, you could have been less good about how you did the scene, but also... No, this is definitely definitely integral um, in a different way than the other thing. All right. Moving on to where things treated with care. Uh, talking about Cal Halverick. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> so much care. So, Full care. Uh, so much tender. Um, taking lots and lots of care with language and exactly what's going on. Uh, so much so that very young Nicole did not know what was going on. Um, oh, yeah. When I Well, to be fair, like I did say in the segment, I was probably three or four reading this book so me not knowing what was going on in this scene is fair and if i did know what was going on that might even be a little bit concerning with how obscure the language around it yeah, is. it would have been more worrying if you'd know what was going on when you read it that young yeah uh, yeah uh um okay survivor's guilt i would argue this is treated with enough care yeah like it's there's, not there's, just straight up treated with care There's some as much as the others. I don't want to use the term wallowing. I'm going to say reoccurring. There's a lot of reoccurring intrusive thoughts with this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes it be enough care. Yeah. It's not, it's not overwhelming. It's not inundating. But it is repetitive. Yes. In a, in a very purposeful way that does not, it doesn't, it doesn't drag in the book. Oh, no. But it is it's... repetitive because it keeps being on her mind that this thing happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Over and over and over and over and over forever. Yeah. Not forever. Uh, she does. Not forever, yeah. but well, for a long forever time. Forever is, you know, the end of forever this book Forever as far as the book is concerned. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, um, the assault was definite. This is a weird one because 
I am torn between enough and just full on yes. I'm going to go with yes because we I I say it is it is treated with care even to the point of you you have something where someone tells her she to like tells her a technique for not having to listen to all of the discussion that's happening and so then the reader gets the text of someone telling her how to not have it to listen to it rather than the reader having to listen to all of it like even yeah. that is just so well done yeah um yeah you have a lot of kind of like cutaways to her reaction mm-hmm and then you kind of flash back to like the convo, but you know that you missed a lot of it. And it's like you as a reader never feel like you don't know what's going on, but also you are 100% not being, um, you're not having it inflicted on you in any way, shape or form. Yeah. Again, we think this was, I think it was definitely, it's, it's definitely treated with care, whether or not it feels like just enough care, I think is going to depend on what baggage a reader has coming into it. But I think it it has a shot at straight up being treated (laughs) with care. Your mileage may vary. But yeah, yeah, it is at minimum enough. All right, moving on to the point of view for Cal. Uh, The point, it stays on him. Yeah, it's pretty much on him. He, his consciousness is going in and out, so the point of view kind of goes in and out, and it does it in this really, really, um, it, it, it does it in this very intelligent way, this very interesting way that, again, I really like I'm, this chapter. I'm gonna, ow. I'm gonna submit that the aftermath was Cal and his dad. Cal and the Halverick. Because... The Halverick gets a particular mail parcel. Well, it's him telling. It's it's just him telling Cal about it. It's not us seeing. No, no, we do. We do get the scene of of him and the Duke being in the Wait, tent. Wait, we do? Yeah, and we get the Duke's reaction to the Halverick's reaction. Like, we do get other people reacting to this thing happening. We do get that. But as far as the actual trauma itself, we only get Cal... And, but then the aftermath, we get Cal and Cal talking to his dad and, and his dad talking to the Duke and the Duke being circumspect with other people. Like, we do have other people's kind of reaction to it, which is not a bad thing in this case. The way it was handled was beautiful. Now, I'm, I'm looking at the text. The Duke is in the tent with him while uh, he has the Duke leave the tent while they're take- while the surgeon's taking care of him. That's not the part I'm talking about. I'm, ta- I'm talking about the part before they even go rescue him. Are you sure? Then that yeah. would mean stuff happened out of order. I no it, no every everything. Okay, I'm I'm looking at the text. I'm looking at the text. Okay. Uh, they have that he's captured, and they they have not received a package of any kind. Then we have. So Pax is sent to help rescue him because he has been kidnapped, but nothing else has happened. Then I would go get my book, but my cat is on um, my lap. Then he, then he, then it happens, and then he is rescued. Like this is all within a single chapter. That's part of what was so striking to me. Um, it is. Um, then they get back to camp, and then. Um, 
he sends the Duke out of the tent while the surgeon is working on him. The Duke comes back in, or no, the Duke is outside the tent, and then his father bursts in and tells him that he knows what's going on and that he's still there and that he did receive that package. There's no separate scene where, like, the Duke and the father get it. No. I th- no, I'm sorry. That's not I what thought I'm that's what you were saying. You get as an no, no, that's okay. 100% not what I'm saying. As an aftermath to what happened, we get the Duke's reaction, his father's reaction, and Oh, sorry. Okay. Reaction. Sorry. For sorry. That's what I'm saying. We have all th- we have three people who we sorry. have the aftermath. I, I was on. focusing on point of view in an extremely literal way. We never leave Cal's point of view. <laughs> it's a third person okay. book. <laughs> to we never to get be fair. to me. We never so, got the Duke's inner monologue. We never got ca- we never got we d- we don't get we anyone's get inner monologue internal monologue. It's we a get, third person book. We get as close to sorry. Not trying to digress. Just I mean we we get the we get his dad we get the Halverick literally saying his opinion and and his reaction. We get we get the Duke behaviorally descriptively reacting we get like like as far as an aftermath is concerned we have three people who have very clear stances we do get their reaction okay so let's circle back now that i understand what you're saying talking about point of view for um what happened to cal all of the point of view stays with him and so we get the reactions of people who are in the room with him and by doing that we get several people's reactions to what happened, varying from the people who helped rescue him to the Duke and his father after he has been rescued. And by doing that, I I appreciated that the traveling point of view stayed with Cal. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But also it is important that we don't only ever oh, know sure. how no, Cal we feels. Get- that okay, was, yeah, that we do get point. his father saying we, specifically we multiple. Uh, what's happening. Um, sorry, I had taken the term point of view way more literally than you were. Um, In a third person book, I don't, because there's more than one way to, to point of view yeah. a third person book. Um, so point of view, uh, so for the point of view for the Survivor's Guild, um, it's pretty much Pax, like it's Pax and yeah. people she talks to, but it's mostly like what's going on in her head. Uh, and then for the assault, we 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 don't. So I know you're saying it's a third person book, but we it's we get Pax's thoughts like all the time, and so I think it's an important contrast that we don't get. We do also get Stanley. No, no, right. Let me finish my sentence. I do think it's important that we don't get Steffi's or Corin's or Jen's thoughts. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. And so this... Um, actually, I I would argue we don't get we don't get a point of view of the trauma. No, we don't. Uh, we only get point sorry, of view yes, of the yeah, aftermath. I should have been more clear. Yeah, we don't get anything for the actual trauma. And the aftermath is a mix of Stammel and Pax. And we don't get... And I think also, a, I'm trying to remember wording-wise, if we get a little bit of uh, Kolya. Yeah, we might get some, like, ancillary people. Um, but but more to my point is that we we just get it from... 
We don't get right. the perpetrators we don't get the at all. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um. And, and I, I do think it's, we kind of pushed past to the aftermath. I think it is very important for this particular trauma. We don't actually have a point of view of the trauma because the way it is written with as much care as is taken, the actual trauma is not inflicted on the reader, even by just seeing someone go through it. And and also, it's important to note, because this is part of why we look at point of view of, a tra- of the trauma, it's not that we just don't see it. No, we actually, we do see what is happening. And we, and, and the victim here is not brushed aside, even. We get the like stuff that all. matters for figuring From out how to deal with it and move on and, and yeah, punish. And we, but we. Yes. And, and we do. And we also get how Pax is, is mm-hmm. feeling. Like we, we do get that. But, but it is, it is a very deliberate choice, I think, to not have there be an on-screen yes. assault scene. I'm very glad they didn't do that. All right. So, did you have an aspiring writer tip? Aspiring writer tip. I, I'm trying to remember if we've said this one before, but I really want to just say, hey, it's completely possible to write horrific trauma scenes and handle them with mm-hmm. care, with full care. That's yeah, a just- doable feat. Like, it's... And, and in a way that doesn't obscure any details. Like, for all of these scenes we're talking about, rereading them as, as adults, like, even the things that I didn't understand when I was four, I fully, fully know exactly what is happening yeah. in all of these scenes. But none of these scenes put me, the reader, yeah. through anything. Zero percent. And that's, it's hard to do. It's hard to know but how to achievable. do. It's achievable. And it, it, it really kind of, and now, to be fair, there are books where authors, like authors make different choices. And there are totally stories where authors choose to have your reader go through something as part of the experience. But also like, a lot of what Elizabeth Moon chooses as trauma for her characters are incredibly visceral traumas. They're incredibly just there. And and this is a series that I read now disclaimer there are other things going on in my life at the time when i was four that meant that this was probably sheltered me from this a little bit maybe contextually but like also i was four i read this series i loved it this is my favorite author this is arguably my favorite series that exists or at least my first favorite and i read this as a four-year-old and i read these awful things and i was fine because the language used was done in a way where it did not cheapen my experience of the story at all, but I was also not traumatized by this. Do I recommend reading this book to your four-year-old? No. <laughs> Don't read this to your four-year-old. But also, like, this is, she does this very, very, very well, and it's awesome, and it's achievable. And I would, I would hold this book up as an example to literally anybody that ever tried to say that putting your, putting your, your audience through the trauma is inevitable. Like, nope, no, it's not. <laughs> you can make that choice, but it's, yep. it's a choice. All right. So favorite non-traumatic thing about the book. Um, I don't know. I really liked, I mean, kind of when I, do you know, do you have a thing? Uh, I, I do. Okay. I'm thinking. Well, actually, I have a favorite traumatic oh, thing. Nikki, favorite non traumatic things. That's how this works. I'm thinking. I know, I'm thinking. Um, I, okay, I got it. My favorite non traumatic thing about this book is probably the relationship that Stamil has with his, his recruits. 
I love it. It is, he is, uh, he's, he is in charge. He is teaching them. He is a mentor. He is, uh, he's very, uh, he's very, very strict, very stern, very in charge, which he has to be. He's, he's teaching them fighting techniques. He's trying, trying to keep them and alive. he's also, while doing that, trying to keep them alive. But like, he does not pull back on on discipline even a little bit he doesn't pull back on experiences that are necessary for them to learn things reflexes attitudes behaviors that will keep them alive he doesn't coddle them in any way shape or form but they trust him he has trained them so that he can trust them he takes care of them even even little things like there's actual battle scenes that we have and he goes through keeps track of his recruits, taps them on the shoulder and says, hey, you, back off the front lines because you're injured, you're tired, you're falling over, you've been out here for two hours, go get something to eat, swap out with... Like, he's actively taking care of them. And it shows. And it shows in how, even just how Pax, and a little bit we get of of a couple other characters talking to him about things that they're going through. And he's very much... Even even just things like there's the one tavern scene where he takes the recruits out to the tavern and he teaches them how to stay. He, these are in medieval times. These are country kids or some of them going to go drink in a city with their first paycheck for the first time. And he makes sure they get home safe. And he does. And it's not that he watches all of the recruits. He specifically pulls out the country kids who don't know how to stay safe in a city and make sure that they get home safe. And the people that that grew up in towns and know how to handle themselves or grew up in a city and know how to handle themselves, he lets them go. And then when they don't come back in time or they don't come back sober or they don't come back with all their money, they're now taken to task for it because they should not have needed him to hold their hand. But like, there's just this, I just, you know, I, if if I had to pick a role model for being a a leader of people, Stamil okay. is up there. <laughs> Just full stop in general as a character, as a as a concept. Uh, so my favorite non traumatic thing about the book is um kind of a weird one. How how especially when like I do kind of remember where she's gonna end up, like later in the series. It is very humorous. To have Pax be like, ah, that cramp that totally stopped me from getting killed by a poisoned arrow? What? Have anything to do with this medallion on my chest? What? No. No. <laughs> I'm not. No. I'm I'm totally not divinely anything. No, no, no. No one's looking out for me. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, to be fair, as an anecdote. It, her reaction oh, sure. makes sense, but yeah, it is very, very funny in juxtaposition to be like, yeah. what? Me? Special? <laughs> she doesn't know she's the protagonist. Right, right. Yeah, that's basically story. what it boils down to. Her being like, me? Protagonist? No. No, 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 no. Of course not. Couldn't be. She is the anime yeah. character with pink hair that is like, nah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. All right. Uh, that's it for The Sheep Farmer's Daughter. And we will see you all in a fortnight for the next book, Divided Allegiance.
All music used in this podcast was created by Nicole as Heartbeat Art Co. and is used with permission. You can follow us on Twitter at Books That Burn, all one word. You can email us with questions, comments, or book recommendations at booksthatburn at yahoo.com. Support us on patreon.com slash booksthatburn. All patrons get access to our upcoming book list and receive a one-time shout-out. You can leave us an iTunes review. This helps people to find the show. And find us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks.